Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rethink Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, and today I'm joined by two other top retail influencers, Ricardo Belmar and Gotham Vatikepet. Ricardo was recognized as a retail industry thought leader and the director of product marketing at Microsoft. Gotham is an associate professor of marketing and the director of the Center for Retail Transformation at George Mason University. And speaking of George Mason University, over the last few months, the Center for Retail Transformation has conducted several panel discussions with industry thought leaders on a myriad of key trends impacting the retail landscape. Gotham and Ricardo are here today to share some of those insights with us. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Gotham, let's start with you. What was the rationale for launching the Transforming Series panels? So we are an academic institution and our objective is to disseminate information as wide as possible. And when you think about retail, about 90% of retail is small and medium-sized retail. And there is an information gap where they don't understand what's the cutting edge of retail. So the Transforming Retail panel series was just trying to bring together thought leaders on core aspects of retail and emerging aspects of retail to try and disseminate that information as far and as wide and as freely as possible. And Ricardo, what the, what was Microsoft's perspective for, for doing this? Yeah, well, you know, in, in addition to the goals that Gotham uh, just mentioned, you know, my, Microsoft's mission, uh, of course, is to, uh, you know, empower every person, every organization on the planet to achieve more, right? That's our, our mission statement. And one of the things that we like in working with the center uh, at GMU is that it gives us an opportunity to really share a lot of the knowledge and experience that uh, we've learned right, from working with all the retailers that we serve. Uh, and then even beyond that, it's also the, the vast breadth and, and depth of experience that our partner network has in serving retail companies. So this Transforming Retail series really gave us an opportunity to kind of bring all of those elements together with the center. Uh, and it really becomes, uh, I feel, an excellent vehicle for us to kind of disseminate that collective experience on these core topics uh, for the industry. So we really view this as an empowering kind of uh, moment. And it's something that we really enjoyed supporting the university on in the center. And uh, you know, I'm glad we'll get to talk about some of the great things that have been covered in these panels. Fantastic. Was there any structure to the panels? There were a couple of things that uh, we wanted to do in a systematic way. One was that, you know, there are core aspects of retail, right? Frontline employees, how do you manage the store experiences? And then there are emerging areas. Think about the metaverse, think about frictionless checkout. So we wanted to provide a wide spectrum. How do you function effectively on the day-to-day operations and how do you look forward into the future? So that was one aspect. And so if you look at our series, you you see a broad gamut of topics covered along that dimension. And the second aspect is that we intentionally wanted to bring together retailers, retail solution providers into the same room. Because you need to get a 360 degree view. And as I always say, right, technology is the glue, it's the enabler that allows companies to differentiate on the core aspects of retail. For me, the core aspects of retail are choice, it's about, which is assortment, it's about convenience, it's about cost, and it's about connections, right? Connections with each other, connections with the brand, and so forth. So technology is a glue that allows companies to differentiate. And so we wanted to try and put forward that aspect as well, and for which we needed to have this 360-degree view, which we tried to bring together. Ricardo, what was uh, what was your thinking on, on helping build these panels? 
So very much along the lines of what Gotham uh, outlined here, we were looking at where where do we have good nuggets of knowledge that we can surface uh, from both experience that our, our own folks within Microsoft have had in working with retailers, as well as so many of the partners that are part of our uh, Microsoft partner network. So when you look at the makeup of each of the panels, you know, you, you for the most part, you know, you see someone from Microsoft that has a, a specific set of experience or, or, or knowledge and having worked with either themselves in that capacity with that topic or because, in fact, some of the Microsoft folks we had were former retailers themselves before they joined Microsoft. So that was an added uh, perspective that, that we drew in there. But then when we went through our partner network, you know, we looked for solution providers that really had a relevant uh, component to what that topic was. So when we talk about frontline workers, you know, we went to solution providers we work with who actually have a solution that's meant to be used by those frontline workers. And they've got feedback from all of those deployments that helps them understand, you know, what are those challenges that we need to talk about in the context of the panel? And the same kind of thing, if we're talking about, uh, you know, frictionless retail, and, and I'm sure we'll get into more specifics around each of the panels, but in every one, I think we were, we were pretty specific and intentional in searching for who we were bringing in uh, to that panel, both from uh, the retailer perspective, you know, we, we wanted to find a practitioner that understands that topic and is active in that space. We, we also wanted to find uh, technology and solution providers that had a relevant perspective there. And I think one interesting component that maybe people don't realize when, when you're watching uh, these panels, uh, many times when you see, uh, I think other people in the industry do these, you'll tend to see uh, there's a solution provider and they bring one of their existing customers uh, to the discussion. So you end up with what, uh, what Gotham and I, I think had talked about and said, that's not quite a 360 view because they're both kind of talking about the same thing, just one from the customer perspective, one from the solution provider. So we were very intentional at trying to mix that up a bit. So when you see us bring retailers into these discussions, they're typically not a customer of one of the technology providers that are on the panel, you know, necessarily. And, and that really, I, I think, adds to that 360 degree coverage uh, that we were able to achieve in each of these panels. You know, that's uh, such an interesting point, because as I went through all those all those five panels and I did that in the last 24 hours, I was actually shocked at how little pitch there was for mm -hmm. for for any vendor solution. And it was noticeable and it was refreshing because I have sat through probably hundreds, if not thousands of panels. And that's the way they've always done. So, yeah, it, really nice. It, it really, really came off, I thought, really well. If I can add to what you just pointed, right, that was something that we were very, very structured and regimented on is that this is a higher level conversation that moves the needle at the industry level. And these are thought leaders who are really making a change in the space. And this is why this partnership with uh, sponsorship with Microsoft was really helpful because they bring in some of these expertise. But at the same time, we're elevating the conversation to an industry level. Fantastic. Across all the panels, uh, what, what has stood out to you? So, so there are so many things. Where do I start? Um, I think one of the things was validation for why the center exists in the sense that irrespective of whether you think about frontline employees or you think about more of these emerging areas of metaverse and frictionless, what was key was the importance of data, gathering data and how data allows companies to differentiate. I thought that was really insightful, and that's kind of what one of the core tenets of the center. The second aspect that stood out to me was, I'm going to quote, I'm going to paraphrase Andy Lodato, is that, you know, physical retail is live and thriving, 
you know, and when it, when he said it, he actually said integrated retail, right? Yeah. Which is online mm-hmm. and in person or in or physical. And, and what was striking is that, you know, all the retailers, irrespective of what panel, they all talked about it in the seamless, unified manner. And how do we get there? So that was the second point. And I'm going to end up on a third point was that irrespective of the topic, every single person talked about customer experience being the key driver, right? Uh, I mean, I too went through all the videos just before this, and I, that was really striking to me. I'm a marketing professor, and I was like, oh, wow, this is just awesome because now there's a reason for us existing. But but it's always awesome when you actually keep the end customer in mind and you build products, be technology or data or actual uh, products towards that goal of trying to provide value for customers. So those were the three broad picture points that stood out to me. Any challenges jump out? To me, yes. I, I think uh, they actually, uh, if I, I think it was Casey who actually talked about this, is that if you're trying to provide this seamless experience, integrated, now combining Andy's point, uh, experience, well, you need to have data that provides a 360-degree view. Right, and we operate in silos in many cases. So, how do we actually fluidly provide a framework of the of the customer that goes transcends the different channels? I think that's one of the biggest things that stood out to me as I listened to all these podcast, I mean, these videos yesterday. Was that okay? Well, we have a big challenge. Is that let's talk about the data and how do we get that data to talk across the different entities. You know, one of the interesting things I, I found uh, across all of the sessions is that there was you can you can really see some common threads surface uh, across all the topics. So, for example, uh, you had some of our, especially our retailer speakers, Andy Lodato uh, from Vitamin Shop mentioned this. Christiana DeMatesa talked about this uh, from Under Armour, and that's that when we're talking about the technology component, it, it's never really just about the technology, right? There's really a formula there that has to do with people plus the technology plus the culture around them in the organization and how those three things kind of combine uh, to form that customer experience, but also an employee experience. And I think we can see this in multiple panels. There, those things are related. You know, we, we often like to talk about these as separate topics. You know, we talk about uh, associate enablement for, for store teams. We talk about customer experience uh, across different sales channels, but Ultimately, when we, when we kind of converge in the store experience panel, when we, we see how these things relate to each other, that em, employee experience is connected to customer experience, and both are connected to what the company culture is uh, in that organization. And I think we saw this across the panel, starting with the frictionless retail. Uh, I think a lot of the, there are a lot of discussion points in that first panel that highlighted why you choose different technologies, and a lot of it had to do with people. Uh, you know, down to when we talked about how you enable frontline employees in, in the last panel uh, with technology components, you know, there was the realization that you can't just throw technology at something to solve the problem. You have to account for what's the interaction, what's the intersection with the people, and importantly, what culture does that uh, create? Is the culture in place already supportive of what you're trying to accomplish with that technology, or are you building on that culture by adding a layer of technology to it? And I think that was a common thread across all of these, which I thought really, really came out quite nicely. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree. Really, really interesting blend. I, I don't know if that was done on purpose, but really all five of those, definitely when you listen to them in the last 24 hours, they really just laid on top of each other so, so beautifully. That's a good point to, to segue into really, let's maybe let's pull out some threads from each one of those panels. Let's start with empowering your frontline employees. What what uh, what jumped out from that that session? To me, it was the unanimous agreement that frontline employees are the biggest asset that retailers have. And how do we use technology in a way that enables them to make decisions and feel empowered, right? To feel part of the team. Uh, I I thought that was really, really striking given the macro environment that we are operating in. Yeah, for me, kind of building on that, I think Christiana uh, used one of my favorite terms for this and she referred to those store teams are your brand ambassadors. So uh, we, we often narrow in on what's the specific customer experience element in the store that those store teams and frontline employees are, are, are driving for you. But Christiana raised a good point that, you know, when you look at this, even from a marketing lens at corporate, at the retailer, those people in the store, those employees, they, they can make or break whatever your marketing message may be before that, you know, even from the moment that customer sets foot in that store, those are the people who are delivering on whatever brand promise your marketing message gave those customers. Uh, So they really are an an integral component. I think to Gotham's point, it was a unanimous agreement across the panel that, you know, that's how you have to think about these frontline store teams. And when you look at how do you enable them to have a better work environment, not just be more productive, but also have a just a better quality uh, to the work that they're doing, uh, it, it leads to, again, that kind of equation I mentioned earlier, where that employee experience really drives customer experience, which really drives the overall retail operation and, and the business. Uh, and that's what keeps customers coming back. And I think that really came to light with the discussion in that panel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought she made a, a really just a brilliant point of when she talked about store visits typically being, you know, this is what we should do or this is what we can do versus, mm-hmm. you know, what what can you as a front what can we give you as a frontline associate to help you do your jobs? I literally I cheered when I heard that. I thought it was absolutely brilliant point. Yeah. Another um, thing that stood out to me was the fact that there's this conversation, joint conversation about frontline employees being knowledge centers, right? They know what the customers want, they know the internal operations. And how do we unlock that knowledge center? Like, how do we allow them to be a network that helps solve some of the problems? And simultaneously, this point of being data-driven, they get access to so much data. How do we improve their productivity by giving them just the right amount of data? I thought those were really fascinating points, frontiers and challenges, right? Back to your earlier question, Jeff, that can truly unlock the potential of the store teams, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, but both Julian Mills from Corso and Chris Todd from Theatro talked, I think, on that point. And, and they highlighted that when we we look at, you know, what information do you need to make available to those store teams? It's also important to ask, how do they get it? Right. It's not just a matter of make data available to them. Right. You, how you do it matters in terms of are, are you making it easy for them to access it? Are you making it easy in the sense of can they access the right information quickly enough because you don't want to lose sight of the fact that you're asking store employees who are likely standing next to a customer trying to answer a question, they need to get to that information quickly. So how is the technology helping them accomplish that is really the, the problem you're, you're trying to solve there. And I think they both touched on that uh, really nicely. 
And one other point I'll, I'll add to that, that I, I liked how Sue McMahon uh, from Microsoft brought this in. She talked about uh, an annual study uh, that Microsoft does on, that, that looks at what are the trends from the frontline workers' perspective? What, what's, what are they seeing? And uh, probably not surprising to anyone who watches the webinar, right? She mentioned that the number one trend that popped up given the conditions of the last two years was stress, right? These employees are stressed in their jobs and their need and are looking for things that can help them de-stress. And I, I think that's an area where if we look at the technology through that lens, it's not just about what capability is the technology giving those frontline teams, but how is it being given to them in a way that lowers their stress level? Yeah, agreed. Second uh, topic is in-store experience. What what jumped out from those panels? The integrated retail uh, story that Andy said was perhaps the, the key thing that I took away from throughout the entire session is that like the retailers do talk about view it as a seamless experience right and it's about what can you do how can you actually leverage technology and data to provide that integrated experience so that people keep coming back to the brand or the retailer and to that extent what what also stood out to me was how technology is merely you don't deploy technology just for technology's sake as ricardo was uh, alluding to earlier it's about that experience and how it all fits together nicely in that intersection uh to me that stood out and i think the last point i'll end at was this notion that okay look online you are able to communicate to the customer at the point of sale Right? How do we actually bring that into the physical store? If you're able to do that, there is so much opportunity to unlock the potential of the store as a media, as a media rather, to uh, you know communicate to the customers and to try and cross sell, upsell, and so forth, and deliver value to them as they're shopping. Yeah. So since I, I was on that panel, so I may be a little bit biased in what kind of stood out to me from that perspective. But I, I think the one thing I, I always like to highlight in, in this kind of store experience discussion is consistency of execution, because I think this is where uh, m many times retailers fall short. Uh, so one of the discussion points we had is how do retailers bring new experiences into the store that are technology-based. And I think we all probably have heard stories from different retailers of how they tested a new capability in, let's say, five stores. Uh, but what usually doesn't get talked about is how do they choose those five stores that they test in? Because I, my experience has always been th these kind of proof of concept tests always work. And the reason they always work is because retailers have, and I don't think they realize that they do this most of the time, but they have a tendency to want to choose the stores that are most used to trying new things and are therefore almost automatically set up to succeed no matter what you throw at them, which sometimes that's a good thing. But when you're trying to determine what are the issues I need to be aware of to take a new capability and a new technology from five stores to a hundred stores, you actually do need to understand what's going to happen at the worst locations, not just the best ones, so that you can react quickly enough to that before you actually run into those problems in the, in the field, so to speak, right in, in the, in the wild when customers are, are dependent on it. So I think that's a, a key thing that came up from that discussion. One, one of the other points that I liked from uh, that session, I think John Gomez from Cooler Screens brought this up, you know, they, they refer to it as, uh, you know, that, that in-store experience, it's a combination of heart and science in that uh, the science is where the technology comes into play, but to address the, the, the heart part, it, it's again, going back to what we said a few minutes ago about people and the culture. And Andy uh, Lodato was on this panel and he's, again, was the one that brought up the culture points. 
And those two issues, I think, are, are very tightly related to how an in-store experience gets delivered to the customer. Absolutely. Yeah, and a couple of other things that stood out to me. One was, uh, you know, John, when he talked about privacy by design, right? If we have to unlock the store as a media of communication, then one, one has to deal with the elephant in the room, which is how do we deal with customer data? And the, the notion of privacy by design, well, I thought, like, really struck a chord with me as like, okay, we can actually deliver that customer experience without compromising on the privacy and relatedly, like if you're able to do that, right, then you can have so much access to information at the tip when these consumers are making the purchases, which I think is a huge potential that is yet to be unlocked. The third panel that uh, we did was sustainability. And I thought that that one was actually, I was really surprised at where that went. It went completely differently from where I thought it was. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts were and what, what stood at you from that panel. Oh my, where do I start? So I'm a sustainability researcher. So this is by far my favorite um, uh, session for that personal reason. And I think there were several things that stood out to me, right? What is the definition of sustainability was perhaps the first one. How do we need to, how companies need to take an encompassing view, not just of the customers, but of the re whole retail ecosystem was the second point that stood out. The third was about the data, right? For companies to achieve their sustainability imperative, you need to have access to data. You need to have clear communication about what data matters. You need to have metrics that aligns with the culture of the organization. And then you need to communicate all of this to the customers, right? Customers are un uneducated. And the last part was the governance, right? So we uh, like, how do you actually structure organizations to ensure that sustainability is part of the DNA of the organization? And I'll end on this point was that the takeaway was that we're just at the starting innings of the sustainability change, right? And there is still a lot of agreement to be had, a lot of consensus to be built, a lot of metrics to be developed to actually move the needle, but everyone seems to be aligned. And that's the great thing for me. You know, the, the biggest thing that stood out to me, and Jeff, you kind of alluded to this, is that this panel didn't necessarily dive into what most people anticipate a discussion is going to be around sustainability. Uh, and, and I exactly. really believe that's because the, the general let's say, I'll call it popular view, maybe that's a, a misnomer, but maybe it's the, the view that's probably driven by most media coverage is, is a very narrow focus point on sustainability. It usually has to do a lot with sourcing, right? And how you source materials that go into your product and are they sustainable? And so much of the conversation tends to focus on that. But I think what, the, for, again, for me, the biggest takeaway from the panel is that when they look at how do you define sustainability, there are so many different sides to it that are all interconnected and related. You know, we had, you just look at the makeup of the panel, right? You had Navjeet Bazing from, from Newmine, who focuses on managing returns, you know, and how technology can help you reduce returns. You know, he mentioned a, a really fascinating point in my mind, how during the pandemic, and because there was so much more e-commerce e happening, then return rates rose as high as 60%. And I don't think people think about, you know, what happens to these things that are returned? especially in apparel, right? Oftentimes, sure, some of these products go back out, but not necessarily always. And so if you're going to look at sustainability from a 360 degree perspective, then that returns piece is actually pretty important. 
you know, we also had uh, Adam uh, from Recurate on, on the panel who talked about uh, resale initiatives. And I think we've all been witnessing this surge in, in resale uh, within retail. And there's a lot of discussion and debate, right? Is it a fad? Is it here to stay? Is sustainability the driver behind it? Um, I, I would argue, in fact, now, since we did that panel, um, with inflation where it is, that that's almost a driver for why we're seeing more resale be of interest to consumers. So I think that may have a long-term effect of keeping resale around longer and getting more retailers into it. But if you combine aspects of resale with returns management and then layer it into sourcing, which uh, Julie Channing talked a lot about, you know, how sustainable practice go into the makeup of your products from her time at Allbirds, when you start to put all these things together, then you're, you're left with a much, I think, broader view of what sustainability is. And I think Paula Beckel, uh, who was the Microsoft speaker, she brought up some great points about then once you've done that, now you have to consider how do you present this to consumers in a meaningful way? And you know, Gotham raised the great point about data and you have to be looking at the right data to help you define this. Uh, that's where I think it all comes together uh, because at the end of the day, Every retailer is working on this because of what they believe consumers are demanding. And there's, I don't think there's a good way to necessarily measure that. Uh, you know, we all see the surveys when consumers say they want to buy more sustainable products, but then you, you try to follow that up with sales numbers and the two don't always correlate, right? People don't, they say they're going to do something, but then when they go and actually put their, their wallets down on it, they might do something else uh, that, that wasn't anticipated. Uh, and so that's why how you present it matters. And I think we, we lose a lot. Uh, of the sustainability picture and the way, unfortunately, many organizations are, are presenting this. And I think that is something that, you know, got covered in this panel really, really nicely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I thought Navjit's point about returns reduction is a sustainable strategy, I thought was simple mm -hmm. and brilliant. Um, and as an old supply chain person, I cannot emphasize that enough. It returns are a disaster for a retailer. And, and when he quoted that stat, I, I, I audibly gasped. And then I thought Julie's point about uh, not doing more harm than good was probably maybe maybe one of the points that jumped out at me the most out of all five of the panels, because I think some of us look at um, some initiative and, and kind of question, is, is this really the right thing to do? And you know, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. But if that if that's sort of the, the basis that we're building uh, a strategy around, not doing more harm than good, I'm, you know, I think I'm all in. I'll also say, right, there were two actionable strategies that you could take right away, right? The, the returns, it's a low-hanging fruit, right? The same thing with resale. And uh, to Ricardo's point, it's now become in vogue to kind of have your own e-commerce. But those are easy strategies, low-lying fruit that can improve the sustainability footprint of most retailers. And then there was a lot of discussion on the longer term. What does it take to really get there in the long term? Hey grocery retailers, do you know where you'll be next month? Because Rethink Retail will be in sunny Las Vegas attending the world's leading grocery conference. Grocery Shop serves as the industry's personal GPS, helping businesses navigate the rapid rise in e-commerce, the latest business models and technologies, and the changing consumer behaviors that are leaving a lasting impact on the industry. Grocery Shop will be welcoming over 4,000 industry executives and speakers from all over the grocery and CPG space, as well as solution providers with the latest and greatest technologies, and many, many more. Join us September 19th through the 22nd in Las Vegas, Nevada. We hope to see you there.
Terrific. The fourth panel and one of my favorites, the metaverse. So we've we've had many, many, many private conversations on that. So I uh, got them. I must say, I was a little surprised at uh, some of your takes on that. Pleasantly surprised, I might add. So I'm just curious your your thoughts, your takeaways from that panel. Look, so metaverse is an emerging technology, right? There's no two ways. And we had four people who are at the leading edge of this, right? And it was perhaps the most stimulating uh, session. And I learned a lot from all the panels, but this one was eye-opening in many ways. To me, what stood out was a very simple idea, right? Which was that, look, we are so far dealing with a procurement process, the, right? When you think about online commerce, and the metaverse has the potential to unlock, truly unlock the shopping experience, right? Use your five, well, maybe not five senses, but really get uh, a few of your, more of your senses involved in trying to get that true experience that you crave, the connectivity with each other, with members of the community. And then the discussion revolved around what are the challenges and the opportunities to get there? The best part to me was that everyone was very clear that we are at the beginning stages and that let's right and we are trying to build something ground up and we have to build it slowly systematically and thematically uh, and that was perhaps the best thing for me that they, we really did separate uh, you know the fluff from the reality of the metaverse so i actually use this as a content required content for my classroom now you know, one of the things that, that stood out to me uh, from this panel uh, really was uh, how when they got into talking about what are the building blocks of what we all think of as the metaverse. Uh, and, and there were some good analogies that, that, that multiple folks in this panel brought up that if you think back to the early days of the Internet, uh, you know, how did we talk about the Internet then? We, we, we probably didn't talk about how who was going to deliver the Internet to you for you to be able to go buy things right and, and that's kind of feels like that's how we're talking about the metaverse so often is where who's bringing you the metaverse so that you can go engage in, in commerce and, and shopping there when really as was pointed out i think in this panel the discussion is more about how how are you using what's available to you in the metaverse to get a more immersive experience that might help you discover new things that you might not know realize that you were interested in uh, there was an excellent point made during the panel about how you know e-commerce, what does that uh, optimize itself to today? It's really optimized for knowing what you want to buy and buying it super fast and getting it even faster to your front door. Uh, so it's it's very much a get in and get out kind of approach. Whereas what is the the promise potentially of the metaverse for retailers? It's bringing back a little bit more of that discovery process. You know that whole distinction between shopping and buying. Now, in the media, everyone always likes to focus on the 3D nature and the VR aspects of the metaverse. But one of the things that I, I think came out as well in, in this panel is that's not the only use case, right? It's not just about how can I show a product that I could otherwise go to a physical location and see it anyway, but now maybe I have the ability to see it from anywhere in a three-dimensional way. That's great. And there's a lot of experimenting that, that retailers are doing there. But there are also other uses. I think Lisa uh, Gregor from Microsoft brought this up. You know, we, we often talk about with our customers, we refer to as the industrial metaverse, which if you think of a consumer goods brand that's manufacturing products, uh, you know, they can use aspects of the metaverse around creating digital twins and models of their entire manufacturing process uh, and using all the data where they may have uh, sensors in the factory that tell them about different construction points. They can use all this information and build predictive models 
to understand if they change something in that process, will it result in a better product? And they can manipulate these models in the metaverse without having to actually implement that change first in their production line, which obviously carries a high cost to it. But now they can do that optimization virtually. Uh, and they can do it in a collaborative way because they don't just have to do it with people who are in the same room writing things on a whiteboard. You know, they can do what, what we like to talk about as the, the workplace metaverse, where people can be in different places. They can join in this virtual office space. Uh, and it starts to look, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of science fiction metaphors about this because you see people, you know, touching virtual screens and moving content from one virtual screen to another. But to the people who are in that immersive space, that's how they see it. So even though they're physically in separate locations, they can still interact with these objects virtually in that environment while looking at these models of what they're uh, producing. And the net result is they can come up with a much more optimum cost model and operational model for that product. And they can come up with new variations they otherwise might not have come up with for those products, which of course is you know going to benefit them from a a revenue and consumer standpoint. So there, there are lots of other use cases. And I think that for me is, is one of the things that came out of this panel that everyone on the panel had a slightly different uh, example and perspective of what those use cases look like, which was much broader than I think what we generally hear about uh, in, in mainstream media about the metaverse and retail. And, and Jeff, if I can add to the, this point, right? Like, so one of the things that stood out was Alan stating, right? Like we have to experiment. Every retailer should experiment and get their hands wet uh, with the with the technology to really understand, and it has to connect with the customer. Casey made a brilliant point, in my opinion, which was like, "Hey, why are you building this? Right? Like, l- let's start with the why. Understand what you actually, are, and then how do you actually leverage the technology at the back, and how do you connect the data? We're still not able to do the uh, the physical versus the the inter- the online." What happens if you include a metaverse to this old picture, right? Which is a really important point. Winston talked about like decentralization being a key aspect. Like how is decentralization important? And between Winston uh, and Michael, they talked about how differences between China versus uh, the U.S. metaverse, right? And those were really, really fascinating things for me. With And I still use this to kind of brush up on my metaverse knowledge. And of course, as you know, Ricardo just talked about, Lisa brought it all home by talking about the different types of metaverse. Now, how do we talk about portability across metaverse, right? Things to keep in mind. And so many insights in that one hour session. Yeah, very good stuff. And finally, the fifth panel, frictionless retail, which is something I've, um, gosh, I've gone from almost zero to 100 um, in the last well, really five or six months, really understanding how fast this thing is evolving. What were your takeaways from uh, from that panel? Well, it was our first session, right? And it's it's resulted in some great friendships for me personally. Very critical thing is like when you think about physical stores, the biggest friction is at the checkout, right? Frictionless retail actually eliminates that. What stood out to me was that there are there there are different ways to enable a frictionless checkout, be it the shopping cart that Shopping was talking talking about, be it the fully autonomous stores that was talked about by store keys and with uh, AFI. And ultimately, it really depends on what is the value that you're trying to bring to the customer. One of the things that really stood out to me is that in this autonomous world that we are trying to head towards, what? how do you build a brand? How does a brand stand out, right? When everyone is trying to compete on convenience, how do we really drive home the brand imperative, which was something that's... Uh, 
power from Zabka had um, hit upon multiple times. And the last point that stood out for me was that when it uh, when Daniel was talking about uh, store key and lives, right? You have with these autonomous stores the potential to actually change the landscape of a country. You can now have these stores in really hard to service demographic areas, right? Uh, geographical areas, and you can have it automatically fulfilled and so forth. So now you're actually enabling economies in places which are hard to reach. And I think that is a potential retail for good, right? And the, this can actually unlock that last frontier. And just building on, on that point that this notion that one size doesn't fit all, right? One type of frictionless retail solution is not the end-all answer to every uh, uh, scenario that a retailer may have. I think that was, for me, the, the biggest takeaway from this, and that there are even other areas of, of that we might not associate with frictionless retail. Uh, Chish from Microsoft, he highlighted a couple of interesting things for me that in addition to what the other panelists talked about, you know, the, the, the idea of using smart carts uh, to the idea of, you know, a grab and go kind of environment in a fully autonomous store. But what, what if you start to consider just more broadly how goods are delivered and made available to that consumer. You know, we during the pandemic, we everyone got excited about curbside pickup, particularly in grocery, right, as, as a means to kind of implement that digital grocery delivery. Well, that in, in a way is part of a frictionless retail experience. And I think Shish made a good point bringing that up. You know, you could extend it further. What about uh, pickup lockers? You know, uh, th- those are, are pretty relevant, could be relevant as much in grocery as convenience, but we're starting to see them in many other product categories and types of stores as well. They're all different flavors of frictionless. And that's why I think the most significant point is even for a single retailer, uh, and I think Paul from from Zabka mentioned this, one flavor of frictionless retail might not be the only one that any individual retailer should consider. You know, every retailer may have different size stores, they may have different formats, and every one of those may lend itself to a different type of customer who might want to engage in uh, a frictionless uh, experience differently than the next customer. And so retailers shouldn't be looking at this as what's the solution I need to go with. It's more a question of what solutions should I be considering for my customer base. Agreed. Definitely exciting times for those of us that cover the technology industry. I'm sure it's exciting time for Ricardo, for you in the in the technology selling business and in Gotham, what do you uh, what do you see in the future for these panels? So we have a sequence of five sessions uh, chalked up for the upcoming semester. We are academics, so we move in academic calendar cycles. And again, to the theme of emerging topics, uh, we're going to cover issues with regards to automation uh, and with regards to healthcare in retail, and, and then back to the fundamentals of retail, right? So if, retail the consumer trends are rapidly evolving we're going to deal with one of one session on that we're going to deal and within a week or so on august 29th we're going to have an e-commerce session there's a lot of talk about e-commerce and some of the challenges that dtc companies are facing so we're going to kind of talk about how can e-commerce get it right Uh, and the last one is on supply chain right how do we redesign supply chain to be sustainable and to actually deliver products when needed, where needed, and what format it's needed. So those would be the the things coming forward, again, in the theme of here are critical issues that all retailers have to deal with, and then here are some emerging points that retailers might want to consider. 
when you look at uh, when you see who some of the panel members are, you're going to see an interesting mix of people who have uh, a deep experience, a deep historical experience in that topic, as well as people who have a, a new viewpoint uh, to offer on that that might change how retailers reflect on each of these areas. So I think it's going to be a, an exciting series. Wow. Well, I uh, I uh, very much look forward to the next uh, next round. Um, Gotham is a uh, somebody that's covered this space forever. I think you're a, a, a fresh uh, a breath of fresh air. I I love what you're doing at the center. Um, I love the idea of taking on different uh, aspects of of what some of us have covered forever. So so uh, thank you so much for taking this on, and I appreciate it. And looking forward to the next series. Well, thank you. It, it has truly been a collaboration, and I will end on this note. If anyone wants to support. The cost of the center, please do join us. Uh, all hands are welcome. It's all decks on board. All hands on board, I guess, is the right phrase. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.